And I want to go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 7 to 12 here, and just read this section. Now, <clears throat> to set this up a bit, we were not long ago in 1 Corinthians, looking at uh, a message series on the cross, on our Sunday morning messages, and the book of First and Second Corinthians were written back to back, or about within a year, they figure, um, of the time that First Corinthians was written and handed out to the church there at Corinth. Paul writes a second letter as a follow-up, and in the process of that, uh, Paul had gone through some pretty uh, difficult times, and you get that from reading this letter, for one thing. Uh, it's one of his, I wouldn't say, um, it isn't a dark letter, but it's a letter that's filled with all kinds of words especially near the end, to talk about his sufferings that he went through. Uh, in my Schofield Bible here, he points it out. He says this, he says, There is an unusual accumulation of words expressing suffering of mind, heart, and body. He uses the word affliction, anguish, beaten, beatings, conflict, danger, hunger, persecutions, punished, sorrow, suffered, sufferings, fears, uh, no, tears, excuse me, uh, tumults, weak, and weakness. And he also uses uh, the same words, you know, comfort and, and comforted, and uh, some words on joy and stuff, but he doesn't use it like he does in his other writings. And, of course, when Paul writes and he is, you know, giving this second letter, he's also been, according to, you know, some of his, his uh, verses that are found in here, he was being criticized. Uh, some were doubting his apostleship. Some were, were doubting his sincerity, all those different things. So he writes this letter and immediately really opens up talking about, I think, being very open and honest and simple, as he puts it later, singular in mind, to show them that the genuineness of his faith. And it's interesting that sometimes that happens. And, and I wondered, you know, and I'm going to get to the text here, but um, where the people that maybe just a little ways before that, because Paul spent some time in, in um, 18 months in Corinth, and he was used to start a church there, and, and it was a fledgling church, and they had a lot of problems. That's why he writes the first letter. Uh, but he also, <clears throat> um, that same church, it seems, would have problems, and they would turn on him. Maybe some of them didn't want to hear what he told them. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot we don't know about it, but he definitely had uh, tribulations and different issues that went on in his life, and you find that um, throughout his writings, obviously, and obviously in the book of Acts as well. And just let's read down through these verses. It says, And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death, and does deliver us, who, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us uh, through many. For our boasting is this, that the testimony of our conscience that we 
conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Let's pray. Lord, we want to just thank you tonight that we have your word. And as we look at it this evening for these few moments together, I pray you would impress upon our hearts the the need to pray and the uh, aspect of our ministry of worship through prayer, that it glorifies our, our Father in heaven. And Lord, I pray also that you would open up your scriptures to us and and use it as you always do, Lord, to reprove and correct and instruct and and do your work and that you might furnish us, Lord, thoroughly. And so we thank you for that and we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You come to this section and you uh, you find here uh, some things that, uh, as we, we're going to study Paul's prayers, we, we find out that uh, number one, you, you know, we'll look at what he prayed specifically, and there are many things. Here, he doesn't have a specific prayer that's mentioned, but he talks about prayer, and particularly the prayer that upheld him in these, these trials that he was going through. And um, we're also going to look at some of the things that maybe the Lord is saying to us through prayer, because uh, I don't know about you, but I have a, sometimes a habit, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean a um, how would I put it? Like sometimes I'm stuck in kindergarten with my prayer life, you know, uh, and I, I sometimes just wonder, Lord, am I going to get beyond kindergarten? And we're still praying the same prayers, right? And maybe it's not now. I lay me down to sleep, but we we don't we fall into that routine that doesn't really move us uh, further along. And and honestly, we need the Lord to come along, like what happens with Paul. And he's, he's such a, a deep man of faith and of prayer because of many times the circumstances that pushed him to that, that drove him to his knees. And uh, years ago, Harry Ironside, as he was um, taking a bus tour through uh, Austria, he was sort of sightseeing with uh, another gentleman. And as they were coming down off these uh, switchbacks in the mountains of the Alps here in Austria, uh, the bus had to stop because there was a whole flock of sheep that were in the roadway and the shepherd didn't look like he was around or anything he didn't have any control over them and there were two uh, sheep dogs and the sheep dogs were desperately trying to get these sheep back on the right you know out of the road anyways and, and they were working on it and his friend got kind of uh, impatient and said you know this is this is terrible this is interrupting our trip and all that and and uh, so Dr. Ironside said, well, do you know the names of those two sheepdogs? And he says, no, I wouldn't know the names of those two sheepdogs. He goes, I do. He says, I know what they are. He kind of looked at him strangely, and he said, well, what are they? He says, that's goodness and mercy. Hmm. Remember Psalm 23, verse 6, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever. And Dr. Ironside used to use that illustration as that, Goodness and mercy, those qualities of the Lord that come from the Lord, they are like those sheepdogs that are those sheepdogs that sometimes they're nipping at you and barking and they're making life uncomfortable so that you don't stay in the road. You get back on the path that you're supposed to be on. And too often we're stuck in the road and everybody's waiting for us to get out of the way, you know, that kind of thing. And God has a marvelous way, we've looked at it time and time again, of taking the trials that we go through even the just the burdens of general living okay and there are many and i know many of us have burdens tonight of various things and he uses those as those 
emblems of mercy and, and goodness that can prod us along and make us more like Christ and to pray more like Christ and to glorify God in our prayers, all those things. And that's sort of the backdrop to this as we look at it. Paul writes here, and, and by the way, I, I want to be like Paul. I want to get out of grade school anyways and, and, and really draw closer to the Lord. And the Bible helps us to do that. It helps us to begin to pattern our, pattern our life after the Lord and not just after each other. Sometimes not always bad, um, but we all can be stuck and not moving further than that. <clears throat> there are some key phrases found in this text. And um, if I back up to the beginning there, he says this in verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, and the word ignorant means without knowledge. It, it sounds kind of rude if you said, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, you know, because we use that word kind of like a rude word, but it, it just means without knowledge. I, I want you to know something. And he says, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. And the trouble he's referring to is, um, well, we don't know for sure what he's talking about, but he did have a lot of trouble. Um, think of some of the ancient sites in Asia Minor, that's the place he's talking about, modern-day Turkey. You have those seven churches, right, that are mentioned uh, in the book of Revelation. And Paul was at Ephesus, we know that. And when he was at Ephesus, uh, did anything bad happen to him? Anybody remember? What took place? I don't know, stretching you now. Yeah, there was a riot. Yeah, and he was the cause of it, all right? Uh, You got everybody upset because... Uh, they, he was putting people out of business, or at least that's the way they perceived it. So many people turned from idols to worship God that the selling of the idols of Diana, Artemis, you know, uh, those little idols of uh, the goddess of fertility were uh, in decline. And when you want to get somebody upset, hit them in the pocketbook, right? Paul didn't purposely do that. That wasn't his intention to go put people out of business, but it's the natural product of the gospel taking hold of people. It actually will change culture. It, it may not be an easy change, though. It caused an uproar, and in that amphitheater in Ephesus, Paul standing before people, and if he didn't have someone come and, and uh, calm things down, I think people would have torn him apart. I mean, there was that. It, there was everywhere he went, there were people lying in wait for him, and they, they were seeking to do him harm. He, he warns of that in some places. He talks about that. He talks about his fellow countrymen, the Jews, who also sought to kill him. You remember after his third missionary journey, and this is before or after the time at Corinth, but he ends up in Jerusalem, and there they uh, arrest him, and he is accused of you know basically uh, all kinds of things. But there were Jews that, that took a vow that they wouldn't eat until they killed him. I mean, that's pretty serious. If people say, I hate you so much, I'm going to stop eating. And you know that it's either you or them, and their time is limited because someone can't go forever without eating, right? And, and that was the death sentence that sat upon Paul when he walked around. And that's what he refers to here. And he says that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even to life. And then, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. He's referring to him some of the other apostles but the people that had gone with him and accompanied him we don't often think of them because paul is the man that has his name on the letter but he lists a lot of them in his writings as you know 
thanksgiving for them and praises for them. I've mentioned you know, Priscilla and Aquila that were there with him in Corinth. And he says in the book of Romans, they laid their necks on the line. Uh, they, they made the most vulnerable part of their body. And he's using that analogy of, of putting your neck out for somebody. And they did that. And they faced death. Um, no doubt Barnabas, who was with him, and uh, Silas. And you also had uh, Dr. Luke, who accompanied him. And those are men that could have sat down later and told you some pretty hairy stories uh, of what they faced in those days. <clears throat> the phrase that you have here in verse 8 where he says uh, that we were burdened beyond measure uh, meaning under great pressure it is a Greek word a few words the phrase itself it means under a crushing burden uh, you picture somebody who's uh, something's been placed upon their back that they absolutely cannot hold it just drops you and you are in a situation where you're pinned. And that's the idea of a crushing load uh, that he had. And a matter of fact, in uh, I think I have it in the New Living Translation. Um, this is the same, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, it's, it is a translation, but it's brought out a little bit deeper meaning, I think. So it says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And Paul is not exaggerating there. I mean, you say, well, yes, he is, because he did endure. No, he faced a situation that was so dire that if God had not intervened, he would have remained in that state. He'd been crushed. I, I know some of you have been in situations like that. I have, too, at various times. And, and you feel like the weight of everything is upon you. And you say, I, I don't think I can do this. And you're absolutely right. You can't. You cannot do it. So you have to go. There's goodness and mercy prodding you along so that you are dwelling in the house of the Lord, right? Um, not running off doing your own thing. And that's, that's part of it, you know. He goes on in this, I'll just read this verse too. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And, uh, you know, I just, I like that translation, the way it puts it. And it says it in the same thing in the New King James, but, you know, it brings you a little bit of understanding of the, the emotion and the feeling that was behind everything that was going on in Paul's life. And uh, we're back up to that. Um, Beyond our ability there, it says, burdened beyond measure, above strength. The phrase there is, uh, uh, again, a, a picture that it's off the charts. That's the, the meaning. It's the same root word that we get the word hyperbole. You know, when you say that, he's speaking in uh, hyperbole, means he's exaggerating. And, but it, he's, Paul is saying that it was so bad that there's nothing you can compare it to. Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, there's times you go through things and you can't compare it. Although many of us will face similar trials, you know, for, to other people. There's very few things that are new, okay? As uh, Solomon says, uh, that, 
you know, he talks about uh, there, there are basically no new things under the sun as he talks about those things uh, that God has, you know, allows things to come around and around and around. But people will face various things. You might not face a, a broken marriage, but somebody else might, and they could minister to somebody in that situation or have cancer that's knocking at your door at all the time or in, you know, those kind of things that hit us sometimes right out of the blue. Verse 11, verse 11, there we go. Paul says this, you also helping together in prayer for us. That's what I want to look at here tonight. Uh, The word helping together, again, it's a phrase that means uh, working with another under something. (laughs) That's the way it actually reads in the Greek. Working with another under something. I thought, what is that like? Well, that'd be like carrying something, you know. Uh, you ever have to carry some large object or burden or something like that, and you can't do it alone, and someone else comes along underneath it with you, and they pick it up. And the idea here is that prayer is like that. It, it takes us, as we have this, you know, even corporately, we look around. If I was to ask you, what is the greatest burden you're facing right now? Uh, it would be, you know, too big for any one of us to bear these burdens, but together you can, together with God. And that's why these things happen, that he might rely on god only he also uses the word many thanks he says that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many and he looks at the trials that were given to them as a gift and also prayer as a gift i think and the ministering of the saints to them through prayer uh, all of that was was part of that but one of the things that happens when one believer goes through a great trial or there's a great, you know, something happening like what was happening to Paul and his companions is it creates an atmosphere of praise as God answers. And you see that here where he says, given by many persons on our behalf, right? Thanks may be given on, on, by many persons. Uh, there's, there's something contagious about answered prayer, isn't there? Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute, but we we look at those things. And you have here a, a line of prayer uh, that some people call it, where it begins with Paul or begins with the individual, but it ends with God. And in the process of that, you have other people that are involved in it too. And honestly, the world, I don't expect, uh, you know, people who do not know the Lord or have never really prayed uh, from a, a spiritual perspective, I mean, there's people that say prayers, but they don't know the Lord or have the Holy Spirit in them. They will not understand um, what prayer is about. And to, to say that, it's just that God wants that line of prayer constantly going on. Constantly. Uh, and it is. Uh, I, I would love to know how many believers are praying around the world at any given minute, you know, uh, we don't know. God knows because he hears every one of them. But there's a continual line of prayer going on from that early days of Christ in the garden all the way through, you know, to this day, to tonight. And we might say, well, many Christians meet on a Wednesday night for a prayer meeting, and that's probably more traditional than anything. But, but there's Christians that meet around the clock, you know, all over the world, different time zones, all that going on. There's that constant line of prayer. But ultimately, it's God that does it. 
<clears throat> you see the way it works and the way this prayer kind of formulated. Paul is in desperate trouble. Been there. He asks for prayer. The church prays for him. God delivers him. And then the church unites in a chorus of praise. And that's always the same way, by the way, if, if you get all those people involved in it anyways. It begins with a desperate need, a calling out to God, right? That's prayer. The church praying, and then God answering, and people hopefully praising. Uh, I saw it in a book once, drawn out like a triangle. And you had God at the top of the triangle, and the individual will put Paul on this side of the triangle, and the church over here. And but with the church praying, and we're all connected to God through prayer, we're coming in line with His will. And in doing so, uh, you're directing that, you know, burden to heaven to heaven that's why christ commands us to uh you know take his yoke it's easy because he lifts it right um and i'm glad he's able to do that he's glorified in our prayers and that's uh really the one of the reasons prayer is there some have said and it's a valid question why would god need me to pray i mean really God can do anything, and He could do it without me, that's for sure. He did it a long time before without me. And He'll do it without me, after me. Uh, But the reason is because God desires us to worship Him. He desires us to ascribe Him glory that is due Him. He has that glory. He, He dwells in that. But for His creation to bear record of that, that's called worship. And God's the only being that can rightfully demand that and and still remain right what i mean is i couldn't say hey i want you guys to praise me all right you know i really want you to be nicer to your pastor okay praise me all right and i I demand that and say some of you are going no way i know okay but uh i really i'm a sinner just like everybody else you know i don't deserve uh least praise worthy of god by any means in that that's a lot of times what man wants to direct but when we trust the Lord and we are praying to Him, we're ascribing the worth that He is. And we're saying, Lord, I'm utterly dependent upon You. And I'm coming to You to ask Your will so that I might come in line with Your will. And all these aspects of prayer that come together. And ultimately, the, the, even the chorus of praise that comes up from God's people when prayer is answered, and we can say, you know, God, You're good. And goodness has prodded me into this. And mercy, Your mercy. I mean... Wonderful things. God is glorified in our prayers for others because we are responding to the needs in a Christ-like manner. That's one reason prayer is important. There's five of them here. And the first one is very simply that Christ prayed, didn't he? Did Christ need to pray? I'd say no. I mean, he, he, he's God the Son. I mean, he, he too. Uh, you, you could argue, well, in his... In his uh, condition here when he came to earth he gave up the use of his will to the will of the father he did not give up his deity he was still god the son but he gave up the use of the perfections of god to the will of the father so therefore he would could pray to his father and say thy will be done not mine right um but did christ actually need to pray no i I don't think he did Uh, but he prays to show the worth of god but he also prays 
on behalf of others. He says to Peter, Satan would have desired to sift you as wheat, but what? What? What did he say? I have prayed for you. Peter was being prayed for by Jesus. By the way, Peter's still being prayed for by Jesus. So is Jack Karen's prayers, or he's being prayed for by Jesus. Because he ever lives to make intercession for us. But even when he was here, he was praying. He was doing that. When they sought him in the garden, it was because that was his manner. They went out there and Judas knew exactly where to find Jesus. Because it was his habit to be praying. Secondly, he glorifies, uh, or he is glorified because we are demonstrating what we believe God's word about prayer uh, is. And that is that it's true. We believe that God's word is true. If the word of God tells us to, like in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally. He, he gives generously. I think we need some more wisdom, uh, you know. Uh, there are, there's never a, a lack of, of wisdom, or should be, and I, what I, how do I put that? There is always a lack of wisdom that's going on. You know, when you think you've gotten to a certain point, there's still more we can know and discern and proper judgment, all that. The third thing here is that he is glorified by our prayers for others because one part of the body of Christ is moving to meet the needs of another. And that is just the old adage have you ever prayed for somebody and then discovered you're the answer you know you you pray and you say this person has a need i'm going to pray for my brother or my sister and i'm going to pray for them and pray for their need only to realize that god you've given me the resources or the strength or some connection to someone else to meet that need does it all the time and we have to say thank you lord for doing that uh i'm I'm glad that there are people like that The fourth thing is that our prayers for others glorify God because uh, when we pray, we are partnering with God to further His work in the world. You ever think about that? That that God calls us to pray. And and there are several instances like what Jesus says, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. Why does Jesus need me to pray for laborers? Because He wants me to. And He wants you to. So that we can partner with him when those laborers go out. Otherwise, we would just sit as spectators and we'd say, go get them. Glad God called you. But we're actually called to partake with them. And so I, I think that's proper. And you know what? Every, every time that we come together, that's, a, that's an area of prayer that we could be focusing on. And saying, Lord, would you call people maybe out of our congregation or out of, you know, wherever. But call people to, to go serve. We need more laborers. Not because I need it, but because God wants it. It gives Him glory in the, in the process. And then lastly, uh, the fifth thing is God is glorified by the end result of our prayers. As we give thanks to Him, and when the answers come back, and the needs are met, all those things give God the glory. You know. And by the way, He doesn't always answer our prayers in uh, the affirmative. Sometimes it's a no. And you have to say, thank you, God. Um, uh, he, he answered a prayer today of mine, and I think he clearly showed me what I need to do, you know. And I had uh, asked for prayer this morning in regards to something, and I, 
And, and the Lord just showed me, you know, today. And I was like, okay, I got to rest in that. Don't not like it, but I got to rest in it. And just say, Lord, I, I know you did that. And he's done that several times in my life where he's stopped me from doing something I wanted to do. Only to realize in hindsight, I would have made a terrible mistake. And God did that. Verse 12 there, I like this verse. He says, for our boasting is this. And Paul's interesting phrase. He says, I'm going to boast in something. Let me boast here. This is not really boasting. I mean, he's, he's telling you the truth of what's going on. He says, the testimony of our conscience that we conduct ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. Um, that's a good prayer. Say, God, keep me and keep my testimony and help me to live simply and godly. That's a hard balance. The word for simply means genuine and um, in a narrow way. Uh, keep me on track. I'll tell you, we can get off track so quickly and do things that are important but not the most important thing. And it's just like, you know, a house that we all, I don't know about you guys, but you can collect things real quickly, but you, it's hard to get rid of it. And it gets complicated. And there's a freeing, you know, spring cleanings here and someday when spring gets here. And, you know, you just like, ah, get rid of a few things and do that. And sometimes our spiritual life is the same way. It gets so complicated we no longer can really serve God. Um, years ago, I, I think it was um, A.W. Criswell uh, in, in uh, First Baptist Church in Dallas. He had a guy that came to him who um, had been a, a very generous man through his uh, younger years, and he was there in the church a long time, you know, a very generous person doing that. But all of a sudden, in the boom of the Texas oil industry there in the 80s, up until the 70s and 80s or whatever, uh, this man all of a sudden made a ton of money, all right? And he came to the pastor and he said, uh, you know, I've always given a 10%. I, I think that's what God wants me to do. And he said, but now I've made a lot of money, and I, I don't think I can give you 10% of that. It's too much. <laughs> so Pastor Criswell grabbed a hold of him and said, brother, let's pray. And he said, Lord, make this guy poor again so that he'd be obedient to you. And he prayed the simple prayer like that. Isn't it funny how life gets more complicated, and you all of a sudden better off and all this, and, and yet it's harder to be obedient. Yeah. Well, anyways, back this up. But Paul says that's what we were like, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. Ultimately, they were the fruit of that hardship in the ministry that was going on in their life. Through intercessory prayer, we partner with God in helping those in need. That's a big lesson here as we look at that. That's what we do when we come together on Wednesday night or Wednesday morning. Or I know that some of you meet individually and you meet with others. And there's, there's little prayer meetings that go on throughout the week. But we intercede as we partner with God on behalf of others. And then the, the second part of that, and it's what Paul talks about in the, uh, in the joy that is there, the giving of thanks. Through united prayer, we experience heightened joy. Uh, as we see our prayers being answered. Uh, there, is, there is really, uh, there should be little exciting times of prayer uh, and when God answers. And 
probably I need to do that more and say, all right, what's God answering in your life? What has he told us? And we have had times on our list as I look down that there's people that have come and gone on it and those kind of things. And sometimes he answers it in ways that maybe even hurt, but he answers. And we have to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for doing that. The word that is used here in verse 11 where he says that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf. It, it has the idea of uh, looking out on a crowd and seeing many faces, okay? And you ever stand in front of a group that's really happy, you know, about something, and they're all, you look out and everybody's smiling and that kind of thing. And that's what answered prayer is kind of like. It creates a joy. It creates a praise. It creates a happy Christian, you know? Uh, even though sometimes as we pray, it's not the way, you know, we necessarily hoped that it would happen. I think of Gracia Burnham years ago when she was taken captive in the Philippines with her husband by the Abu Sayyaf rebels there, those Muslim extremists, and they prayed for deliverance every day. And in the end, they were both delivered, Gracia and Martin both delivered. She was delivered by rescue, through by a helicopter. Martin was delivered by death. And, and she only really understood that after the fact, that their, both their prayers were answered. Martin got out of there, and he was delivered in death. And very hard thing for a, you know, a lady who was in her mid-40s and had kids at home still and all that. All of a sudden, her husband's gone, and they spent over a year in the jungle and as captives, all of that. And, and it was hard to wrestle with the way God sometimes answers, but she praises God today. And you know, I've many, many times read some of her stuff and, and just a, a remark, you know, it's remarkable at that. I say that because uh, you know, some of you have been following uh, Calvin Hood's journey. And just a couple months ago, he was diagnosed with an interoperable brain tumor and um, talked to him about six weeks ago or so now. And we kind of said our goodbyes, and I knew he was going to be going downhill, and, and he said that. And on uh, April 1st, he, po he told his wife, he was at this point confined to a wheelchair and had very little strength left in him, and he told his wife, he said, the tomb is empty. It was Easter Sunday. He said, the tomb is empty, and I'm thankful. It's really all he could get out, you know. And uh, I was thankful to hear that. I've been praying for my friend Calvin. I've been praying the Lord would take him quickly. <laughs> Our last conversation, he said, uh, he said, I don't want to go through this journey, but that's what God's chosen. He said, it must be good. And we did a lot of crying. <laughs> Still doing it. April 13th, last, last week here, earlier, uh, he wrote this. <clears throat> Dear friends, this message is extended to all my family and friends on Facebook. I hope you all take special note, since this may be my, very well my last Facebook message posted. My doctor has told me that I have a glioblastoma level 4, which is an aggressive and inoperable brain tumor. I hope that you prepare for the same journey that I am prepared for. To my friends who know the promise of heaven, I know we will meet again. Salvation is not accomplished by what we do, but rather by what he has done for us on our behalf. I have chosen not to undergo treatment and to spend my days at home with my family as the disease is not curable. My family and I would like to thank you 
all for love and, and support and shown to us during this time. We have appreciated your notes of encouragement and prayers. And then last night, about this time, we had received word, Calvin is with Jesus. God answered my prayer. I'm glad he went quick, you know. But I, I, I look at that, and it's hard. But he's, he's God, and he's, he's worth it. And I can just echo the words of Calvin. Are you prepared that way too? Not only as a, you know, we often think of as the unbeliever not prepared, but as a Christian. What if you got news tonight that you were like Paul, and literally, as he says, I'm under a death sentence. What would you do? Would you worship? Would you argue with God and be bitter? You know, he's, he's a big God. He'll let us do that. But, you know, hopefully end up saying, Lord, I'm, it's good. I'm going to go this route because that's what you've chosen for me. Well, God's good, you know, and uh, he answers prayer. And as we go to prayer tonight, I, I hope that you, you know, bring these requests before the Lord that we have on our list, but also... Uh, challenge him on some things too pray for some people you haven't prayed for in a while see what he's going to do Lord we are so thankful for your word and for the hope of heaven and Lord we know that no matter what this world throws at us uh, really you're the one that's in control and you can prod us along to stay on that righteous path we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen